The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Morning, everyone. Um, I'm just going to quickly just say that uh, I tend to get very emotional when um, the Holy Spirit uh, is moving. So if I start crying, I'm really sorry. Um, <laughs> but uh, I've got the privilege of bringing the, the word to us again this morning. And I'm continuing on with our series um, that we started last week, Unless. And Lewis kicked us off last week um, talking about how unless we are born again, we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And I'm going to talk about another unless statement today, which is found in Matthew 5, 17 to 20. And it's going to come up on the screen. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So obviously I've got a really easy topic to talk on today. Um, so please bear with me because I'm a little bit nervous. But let me pray and we'll, we'll jump straight into it. Um, Lord God, you are a good, good Father. We sang about that this morning. And so Father, we just commit this service into your hands. Lord, lead us in your good spirit. Give us ears to hear, Father. Uh, and Lord, as always, don't let me get in the way. I just commit this to you, Father. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So this is, this is a pretty heavy passage, and there's a lot to unpack here. Um, but there's probably two things that I really want to jump into and focus on within this passage. And those two things are the law and righteousness. So they're the two key things we're going to look at. And I'm going to actually start with righteousness before we get into the law. Um, there's a lot of commentary about the law. There's a lot of excuses as to why people don't like Jesus because of the law. So we're going to look at it a little bit differently today. But let's start with righteousness. Now, to understand righteousness, we actually need to understand that righteousness is the perfect holiness of Christ. It is an essential attribute to the character of God. God is holy. God is pure. God is true. He is right. There is nothing evil about him. There is nothing wrong about him. Everything that is good and pure is God. And so we look at that and we go, that's God. God is righteous. He is good. What does that mean for us as, as humans? Well, for us, righteousness is one who is right with God. Or another way to say it is one who is in right standing with God. And so for us to be in right standing with God, it's every part of us being in right standing. Heart, mind, soul, spirit, every part of us being in right standing. Not just head knowledge, everything. And so if we're going to look at that and go, we're going to be in right standing with God, well, God is pure and God is holy. So for us to be in right standing with God means we need to be pure and we are holy. And who knows that we are far, far from that? We, we don't measure up in any way. And we're sinful, we're flawed, and being righteous and holy is not something that we are capable of on our own or in our own strength. Um, no matter how much we try, and we all do, we all have our different ways of trying to be righteous, but the reality is that we're sinful, and no matter what we do, 
our humanity always gets the better of it and our sinful nature is ever present there. It just doesn't, it, it's there, it's who we are. And um, Isaiah 64, 6 explains it in this way. All of us have become um, like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. And so we try, we, I don't know about you, but I regularly try to be what God wants me to be. I regularly try to be righteous and true, but on my own, I just can't do it. We, we really can't. On our own, we, we haven't got it in us. Um, and now I know that sounds really depressing, and I don't mean to be depressing this morning, so I want to bring some good news into it. And this is where I want to now bring into the law. Like, this is where I want us to look at the law now. Um, when you read the Old Testament, most scholars agree there's 613 commands in the law. That's a lot, of, a lot of rules. And again, a lot of people have a lot of commentary around the law and how can God be a good God if look at all these rules and, and it's impossible for us to fulfill them. Like no one person can fulfill all of that. Um, and it's true. We're flawed and we're incapable and we can't. But this is when it becomes really necessary and important to step back and look at the purpose of the law. And so when we look at the purpose, why did God create the laws that he created? The answer is actually really simple, for our benefit. The laws were created as an act of love. God didn't just decide to make a whole bunch of rules and go, oh, the best, see how you go with that. God created them because he is righteous and he is holy and he is pure. And for us to actually be in a right relationship with God, there's a certain standard we've got to live to. And so God created the laws for our own benefit. Essentially what God did was he just made a guideline for us. He made a very clear guideline around what it takes for us to be in right relationship, what it takes to be able to stand in right relationship with God. And essentially what God wanted was to bring his people back into loving relationship with him. Sin entered the world, the whole plan went pear-shaped, and God was trying to bring his people back. So out of love, God actually created the laws. And so when we put God's righteousness, when we undergird the law with God's righteousness, it puts a new perspective on the law. And it actually gives us an appreciation as to why we needed the law. It's, again, God's not some sadistic man sitting in the sky or some sadistic judge going, I'm just going to make your day a little bit harder. Here's another law for you to try and fulfill, which by the way, you won't be able to anyway because you're human and you're flawed. We're called sheep for a reason because we're not that bright sometimes. This, is, this was not God's plan. So when God looks at us and he saw how flawed we were, he created the law for us. But I also want us to take a, take a little bit step deeper and actually recognize that when we look at the law, we actually can understand God's love better. And the way we can understand it is in the detail of the law. Now, I don't know if anyone here has actually read the, the, the laws in the Old Testament. I've sat there and read some of them and just been utterly confused and depressed at a few of them. And I found a few of them just really interesting. But one thing I notice is there's a lot of detail. And the level of detail reflects the depth of God's love for us. He goes to excruciating detail in every one of the laws to make sure that there is nothing left to chance. God's trying to give us the best opportunity to succeed at being who he needs us to be and, and being in loving relationship and being in right standing with him. And you look at the level of detail in every one of the laws and it reflects the depth of his love for us. Think about it when you start a new job. They train you, you go through orientation, there's a manual, there's probation, there's all of this stuff. And essentially what they're doing is they're trying to make sure that you have everything you need to know about doing your job well. 
because they're paying you, they want you to do your job well. And so they give you everything you need. God didn't want to leave anything to chance. And the level of detail that he goes to when he comes to the law reflects the depth of his love for us. He made a very clear process and guide map for us. And he made sure that his people knew exactly what they needed to do to get back into right relationship with him and to love God with the hell, heart and soul. Because that was the purpose of it. The whole purpose was to love God. But we also see the depth of his grace through the law. And when we look at the law and we see how difficult it was for people to fulfill it, we see the level of God's grace and the depth of his grace because he saw our inability to actually fulfill the law. He is pure and holy. Let's not forget that. And so for us to be in right standing with him, he needed us to be pure and holy. But he saw how flawed we were and that we're just incapable of doing it. And try as we might, and no matter how hard we strived, we were never going to get there. And so he decided to send the perfect sacrifice for us. He decided to send the one that would fulfill every single aspect of the law. Every part of it, not a single one went unfulfilled when he sent Jesus for us. And that's the depth of his love and his grace because he knew that we couldn't do it on our own, so he sent one to do it for us. And can I tell you that when Jesus came, he fulfilled every aspect of the law perfectly. There's a lot of dimensions to the law and he fulfilled every single one of those perfectly. But not just that, he fulfilled it once and for all. It wasn't a, you know, he's going to do it once and then every time we mess up, it's going to be again. It wasn't a, I've got to do this repeatedly. It was a once and for all. And his sacrifice covered all of our sin, past, present, future. And the reality is we're going to sin again. So I, I tend to tell my, my family pretty regularly, I don't make the same mistake twice. Generally make it about 15 times just to be sure that I got it right and that I'm messing it up just the right way that I've got to. God, when Jesus went to the cross, he was once and for all. And what that means for us is we don't have to strive anymore. We don't have to strive to try and be righteous. We don't have to strive to try and earn God's love or earn our way into the kingdom or earn our way into eternity because Jesus paid that price for us already. And so if you feel like you've got to strive or, or if you've come from a life that tells you you've got to earn your way into everything, it doesn't work that way with Jesus. His love for us was so deep that he did it for us. And so what the law means is that we see God's love, we see God's grace. And what we see through Jesus is that he took care of everything and our righteousness is now found in him and in him alone. He fulfilled the law so that we could be in right standing with God. But if this is the case, why then is Jesus asking us or telling us that our righteousness needs to be more than that of the Pharisees? If our righteousness is found in Christ, why is he benchmarking the Pharisees as who we need to, to look at. Well, in a nutshell, let's look at the Pharisees. They were the religious elite of the day. So these were the holy men that made it their life's aim and life's purpose to know everything about the law and to obey it, to fulfill every one of the scriptures and to help lead people and help them to understand how to love God. This, this was their role. They committed their life to it. They spent all their time in the synagogues reading the scriptures, knowing the scriptures, talking about it. And they were determined to do everything right to please God. But on the flip side, we know through the scriptures that Jesus didn't always hold them in high regard either. Because in Matthew 23, he calls them hypocrites and whitewashed tombs. It's like, ouch, it's a little bit harsh. But when we read the scriptures, it's also warranted. 
And so if we look at that, why would Jesus be telling us that our righteousness needs to exceed theirs? Excellent question. He's not. That isn't what I believe he's telling us in this scripture. With the Pharisees, even though their life's aim was to be teachers of the law and to help people to understand the scriptures and to obey God, by the time Jesus turned up on the scene, they had completely turned the law into a bunch of rigid rules and they had misapplied it and misinterpreted it. And so when Jesus came, he was looking at it going, you've actually forgotten the purpose of the law here. They were so consumed with showing everyone that they knew the law and that they knew the scripture that they forgot to actually take it back to the pure purpose, which was to love God with heart, soul, and mind. And they were too busy telling everyone else how to obey the law and what they needed to do to obey the law that they forgot to actually obey the part that talks about love God with your heart, soul, and mind. And they were also telling everyone that Jesus was nullifying the law, that he was making it redundant. But he was the only one that completely fulfilled it, and they just completely missed that. And so Jesus wasn't speaking against the law. Jesus was actually speaking against the abuse of the law and the way that the Pharisees had twisted it around to their advantage and to what they wanted. And what he was trying to do was to bring people back to the purpose of the law, which was to love God, heart, son, and mind. Where Jesus was trying to fix their attention back onto God, the Pharisees were more concerned with what people thought about them. And I want to jump to Matthew 23, 27. Uh, and that says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs who look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. Um, by calling them whitewashed tombs, Jesus was basically saying that they were talking the talk, but they weren't walking the walk. Yeah. It was all external. They looked holy on the outside. They looked righteous. They were pious. But everything that they were saying was shallow and artificial because there was no love on the inside. They weren't actually obeying God by loving God, heart, soul, and mind. They were more concerned with telling everyone else how to do it and more concerned with looking holy and righteous. I'm going to put it out there and say I know a few Christian people that have done that. Um, But what Jesus was doing here was trying to bring people back and tell us that we needed a different kind of righteousness and that righteousness comes out of our love for God, not out of religious obligation. True righteousness is found in God, not in self-centeredness or not in what we do to achieve it. He was calling us to a righteousness that comes about from what God does in us, not what we do. It's not about what we do. It's all about what God does in us and through us. It's about loving God and allowing God to change us from the inside out. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to come in and to minister and to reveal to us what's actually going on. And that's when God makes us holy. That's when we start to become more righteous. Because true righteousness is God-centered and based on reverence for God. How do we view God? Are we viewing him as a reverence? Are we standing there in awe and wonder going, how incredible are you, Lord? Or is he just someone who wrote a set of rules for us and we've got a book called the Bible? How do we view him? And this is what Jesus was trying to do here. He was calling people to a new kind of righteousness that is found in Christ and that is God-centered, not people-centered. Where the Pharisees were concerned with people's approval and how they were perceived and how they looked, he was saying, no, 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 it goes back to God. It is all about what God says, all about what God does in your heart. And the thing was that the Pharisees influenced other people. And so if this is how they were acting, well, this is how the common people were looking at them going, okay, well, this is how we've got to be as well. And they were shifting the law. And so Jesus going, no, 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 come back to loving God. 
the purpose of these scriptures and these laws was to help you love God better. I'm gonna put put it out there for a second and say that there has been times when I would I don't like to admit this, but would call myself a Pharisee. Um, and there have been times when I've read Matthew 23, 27 and felt so convicted about being a whitewashed tomb. And I know that's probably not what you should say from here, but it's the truth. I've gone through seasons where I've actually been a whitewashed tomb because I was telling everyone that I was a Christian and I was helping them with the scriptures, but I was spending zero time in God's word and zero time actually talking to God. I was happy to let everyone know how they should serve God and how they should worship God, but I wasn't actually doing any of it myself just busy letting everyone else know and because I was the Christian chick amongst the people that I knew I lived up to the title but I didn't actually do anything on the inside and one of the things was I was going to church and I was singing all the songs and I was writing down the notes and highlighting my bible and then as soon as I walked out the door it became irrelevant because I did nothing with it after that so my internal posture towards God was just indifferent my external posture looked very engaged and people were like oh gosh she's so righteous she's so cool I'm like yeah no and and I hate to admit that but it's the truth that's that's the seasons that I've been through where I felt the Holy Spirit go to me I want to have a bit of a think about what you're saying right now why are you saying these things when you're not actually doing them and the Holy Spirit is loving and gentle and a complete gentleman so when he convicts you it is always gentle but you pay attention And I remember just going, God is gracious and kind and he loved me back. He loved me back into his arms and the Holy Spirit started to help and reveal things to me that made me check my heart and go, okay, Lord, I'm not doing this right. Because when we allow God, when we actually obey God and we sit and we worship him, his love just flows through. It's it's, God is love. He really is. Not what the world outside is talking about when they say God is love. God is love. You will never know a more true or pure form of love like you do the love of Christ. You will never, ever experience anything like it. And when we actually love God, when we allow him to love us, when we allow him to come into our heart and meet us right in the center, he starts to shift our heart. And we start to shift because that love just overflows and he starts to change us from the inside out. And that's what true obedience is. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to do what he needs to do to refine us and to change us and to shift us to be more like Christ. And the thing is, when we start to allow the Holy Spirit to do that, he starts to reveal those little things in our hearts. And one of the things that he starts to stir in our heart is motivation. And one of the questions the Holy Spirit's asked me a few times is, what's your motivation here? Why are you doing this? When we look at the Pharisees, they were, they were doing all the right things the way that the world looked at them. And they probably got a few things right in that as well, but their motivation was completely off because they weren't motivated by God's love. They weren't motivated by obeying the one, their first love, the one that they claimed to love. They were motivated by people's approval and they were motivated by position. And so instead of worshipping God, they were worshipping position and title and where they stood in the community. That's more what they were concerned with. And... Their motivation was completely off. And I want to unpack this a little bit, uh, a little bit more. I want to go over to Matthew 7, 21, 23. And this scripture reads, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew 
I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I told you I had the fun topic today. Um, if there was ever a verse that freaked me out, it was this one. <laughs> if, there's, if there's a verse in the Bible that makes you want to check my heart, it's this one. And I'm not going to lie, I get a little bit, little bit freaked out with it sometimes because I sit there and I go, is this what God's going to say to me when I get there? Is God going to say to me, get away from me, I never knew you? You do all this stuff in my name, you work for a Christian ministry, you, you, you stand up and you do all this stuff, but I never knew you, get away from me. And this really makes me want to check myself. But as I really started to kind of pray through this, there's a couple of things that become apparent in this verse that I want us to, to look at uh, briefly. And firstly, it's easy to serve in Jesus' name but not actually know who Jesus is. It's very easy to do. Uh, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. But we read in this scripture that there were many that were casting out in Jesus' name and doing miracles in Jesus' name. And Jesus said to them, I did not know you. And if we wonder why people are able to do that, why are people able to minister and do things in Jesus' name but they don't know him? Well, the reality is that Jesus' name is higher than any other name. It is the name that is more powerful than any other name in the world. And God will use who he wants to use, irrelevant of us. God will use who he wants to use to fulfill his purpose and fulfill his plans. James 2.19 says that even the demons know him and tremble. This is the name that sits above any other name in the universe. And that name is more powerful than us and will still work in and despite us. And let's not forget that Judas, before he betrayed Jesus, was also going out and doing things in Jesus' name and he was walking alongside of Jesus. So we can actually serve in Jesus' name but not actually know who Jesus is. And the second thing that I want us to look at is that to love God, to really love God, what, what Jesus is telling us here is that we've got to be obedient to him. There is zero point saying, you know what, Lord, I'm going to love you with all my heart and my soul, I'm going to serve you. And the moment God says, do something, we're like, nah, I'm good, thanks. Um, nah. There is no point serving in Jesus' name if we're not going to sit at Jesus' feet. We've missed the point entirely if we're going to do it that way. If we don't know Jesus intimately, if we don't spend time with Jesus, getting to know him intimately, and then obeying what he says to do, obeying his word, living by his word, and being led by the Holy Spirit, we've missed it. What is the point? It comes down to being obedient because God's not impressed with our works. You know, there's so many that, that feel like, that, again, that have to strive or to do good work. God's not impressed by our works. He's not impressed by what we say or what we do. God is interested in our heart. That is what God wants. He doesn't need us to earn our way into his love because his love is unconditional. So nothing we do, I, I can stand here and I can preach from the rooftops for the next 20, 25 days, but if I don't actually allow God into my heart and if I don't actually know God and spend time worshipping the creator of heaven and earth and surrendering myself over to him what is the point I'm just a mouthpiece standing on the door it is about actually loving God he doesn't need us we get in the way more than anything else but he invites us to be a part of advancing his kingdom and we need to make sure we keep that in clear distinction because he invites us to be a part of it. He doesn't actually need us to do it so we don't have to strive and try and do works to make sure that he's happy with us. His love is unconditional. And if we love God, if we really, really love God and we spend time with him and we sit and we allow God to minister to our heart, 
God is gracious and God is kind and he will start to reveal the things we need to know. God is not trying to set us up to fail or to make us go, you've got to guess what you need to do in your life. You know what? Here's five things. Pick an answer. See how you go. God is gracious and he is loving. And we can see from the law that everything he does was to help us succeed and be in loving relationship with him. And so the more we spend time with God, the more he's going to reveal to us what's happening in our heart, but the more he's going to reveal what he wants us to do with it as well. The more he'll reveal what our calling is, what our purpose is, what his plans for us are, and they are all good. But then we've got to turn around and go, are we going to obey? Are we going to step out and are we going to obey? Because God will call us to do things and we may not want to do them, but are we going to obey? Are we going to trust the one who loves us more than anybody else? The one who's promised not to leave us or forsake us? Are we going to trust him and step out in faith with him, knowing that he goes before us? I'm going to, um, I'm going to share a little bit about my story um, and as a way to kind of help you understand, and then I'm, then I'm going to pass it on to Lewis for communion. But I want to share a little bit about my story. And this is about when I got baptised. So last time I shared, everyone knew that it was through Nan's uh, prayers. So when I got baptised, this is essentially how it all went down. Um, I'd been seeking and searching on my own. I was talking to Nan. And I decided that Jesus, Jesus was the way. And he was true and he was real. And my brother came home one night and he goes, I'm going to get baptised. I'm like, sweet, me too. So my brother rang Nan. Nan rang the pastor. Great, come in for Wednesday night service and get baptised. So I turned up on Wednesday night with mum and dad and my brother and a full face of makeup because I don't know what I expected was going to happen that night, but I wanted to look good no matter what. I'm not even kidding. Red lipstick, mascara, the whole lot. And before I get into the water, I'm like, I hope my mascara doesn't run. But anyway, this, this is me getting baptised. Um, so we did the service. We got baptised, got prayed over, and I went home and spent the rest of the night watching TV. And I was it. That was, my, that was my baptism. And then Sunday comes around, my brother's like, we've got to go to church. I'm like, why? Well, the Bible says something about not forsaking the gathering of believers. Oh, okay, cool. So I went to church because that's what the Bible told me I had to do apparently. So I'm okay, let's, let's just do that. And then I got told I had to do communion. Well, why? Because we have to do communion to remember God's sacrifice. Okay, cool. So I made sure I was at communion. I had no idea what communion was about, but I got a biscuit and I got some juice and that was it. And then I got asked to serve in the kids' ministry. Yeah, okay, sure, no worries. So you're going to do kids. No problem. All right, I'll, I'll do kids. And that was the first few years of my faith. I was serving and I was going to church and I was doing all the things and I had zero idea why I was doing them, but I was told that I had to do it. So apparently the Bible says you've got to do it, so you've got to do it. And so every time I went to church, it was out of obligation. It had zero to do with an opportunity of encountering Christ. All about obligation. And the turning point for me was I went to a conference, again, out of obligation, not because I wanted to be there or, or grow or learn. And they had a prayer time. And they were praying for some really, really heavy things. And I remember sitting there going, there's a lot of joy still in the room. And it was in that moment that I kind of went, I'm missing something here. Like there, there's something that I am missing here. And so I determined that I was going to actually find out who Jesus really was. And so I got myself a study Bible. The church had a Bible college. I enrolled in Bible college. And I went home and I went, Holy Spirit, you've got to sort this one out. 
you've got to help me know who you are because I don't know, I don't know you, Jesus. I know about you, but I don't actually know you. And that's when everything started to change. And that's when I would sit with God and I would read his word and I would ask the Holy Spirit, give me eyes to understand, give me eyes to see what you're saying here, your word that makes zero sense to me. And I would read scriptures and go, this makes no sense. Holy Spirit, you've got to reveal this to me. You've got to help me because I don't get it. And slowly God revealed little things. Slowly God revealed his love, the depth of his love for me, the depth of his grace. And slowly the Holy Spirit revealed the motivations behind why I was saying yes to everything. And you know what? It was more about being approved and accepted by everyone and being that awesome Christian chick that serves in church than it was actually about helping people encounter Christ. And so I stepped back from everything. And I went, okay, I can't do this. I don't want to be a hypocrite and stand at the front and talk to kids about Jesus, about a Jesus that I don't know. It took me sitting with God and going, God, what do you want me to do? And when God said, step down, I stepped down. And when God said, step up, I stepped up. And that is, that's entering the kingdom of heaven. There's no secret password. It's not an exclusive club. I want to, um, Lewis is going to come in a second for communion. But I, wanna, I want us to think about this for a moment. Entering the kingdom of heaven, it's not exclusive. It's not as if there's, some, there's limited spots or you've got to guess a quiz or something. God tells us really clearly how we enter the kingdom of heaven. And the reality is that unless we love God with our heart, soul and mind, and unless we're obedient to him, we've kind of missed it. If we want to be in the kingdom of heaven, we've got to be in intimate relationship with God. We've got to let God minister to our heart. And the thing is, I don't know what you've brought into, into church today. I don't know why you're here. I don't know the motivations in anyone's heart. I know the motivations in my own. But this is what I do know. Irrelevant of, of why you're here, irrelevant of what you've been through, irrelevant of how far away from God you may be, Relevant if you don't even know God right now. God is here and he is ever the father of the prodigals. He is always waiting with arms open to love you back to him. And only he can love us that way. And wherever you are today, fix your eyes on Jesus and allow him to love you back. Allow him to love you whole. Allow him to love you to a point where you are so intimately connected with him that you can hear his voice and you know exactly what his plan and his purpose is for you and your every step is led and guided by him. So I'm just going to let us sit with that for a moment. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church Podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.